Hello, and thank you for joining us on this very special podcast series for Art is Heart, with the theme being You Define You. Today, we are talking with Naomi Willow-Graybill, who was an ex-Jehovah Witness and has a fascinating story to tell how she got out of the cult and what she's doing today and how Art facilitated and expanded her world to reconnect back to herself. My name is Deborah Vanest, and I am the founder of Thinking Agenda. Artist Heart is a subsidiary, and we are very, very proud to present Miss Naomi Willow Graybill. I personally left um, the Jehovah Witnesses when I was um, 13, going on 14, and I was probably one of the first legal cases that actually got custody taken away from my parents because of predatory indoctrination. They didn't call it that at that point. Um, and so, you know, a lot of my life has been working through that and the shunning and everything that came along with that. And I pretty much, you know, had resolved myself as a, as a successful person and I had, you know, uh, you know, overcome all this um, until I had a major life change three years ago. Um, and I got divorced and I moved out of the town and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 52 now, so I was also going through menopause and all the wonderful things that go with that. And I found myself revisiting all of it. You know what I'm saying? Also, you you were um, you were you left Jehovah Witnesses when you were quite young. You said 13, 13, mm-hmm. and then you stopped, and then you went back to being a Jehovah Witness. No, 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 no. I went through a lot of therapy. I mean, there was a lot of abuse situ- with that, you know, um, and then. Uh, you know, it had gone on and lived my life, and I had my family and my business, and, you know, really thought that I, you know, was a successful survivor. Um, and, but I didn't, it wasn't until I had a major change of life three years ago. Okay. I mean, I kept having things in life, kind of revisiting it, um, like when my mom died and my brother died, and, um, you know, all of that that went on. Um, but I, you know, was in a place where I really thought I was okay with it and, you know, dealt was dealing with it just fine. And I had been through a lot of therapy um, through, through it. And But it wasn't until three years ago, almost four now, where um, I had a major change of life again and I... Uh, I went through a divorce, mm-hmm. and I moved out into a new town, and it's like I had to go through a whole revisitation of all that. Do you I know see. what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And so that then um, kind of put me in the mind frame to get involved with other survivors and um, in the ex-witness community and ex-cult, um, and I made some really good contacts, but again... Um, I, I just keep coming to this, um, th- this whole idea that I-, I don't know how long you were in, in the cult you were in, if you were raised in it, I or was, did you come um, into it? Well, my story's a little, um, sometimes it makes people a little angry because I was in Jesus People USA for several years, starting. I think I would say about 14, I got converted around 13, but became a real hardcore. The thing is, is that it was in the very early infancy. So they were structuring it, um, it was, you know, in a culty way, but it was still kind of benign still. So a lot of stuff happened in Jesus people was way after I was out. And I believed the stories because I could see back then how it was forming. But basically, okay. we were just a bunch of hippies, and <laughs> no, we were like, you know, I don't have horror stories, you know. Um, okay. I have horror stories about something else I went through, but everybody concentrates on Jesus People USA because they've, um, you know, had a lot of press a few years ago, and you know, we were just like a bunch of hippies, like you know, Woodstocky singing about God, and we had this huge yeah. bus and the Resurrection Band, and I actually. Um, you know, 
don't have horrible experiences, but I, I see how, like, they used corporal punishment for spankings, um, yeah. the way they controlled your time, getting up at 4 a.m., having um, to sing, and and mm-hmm. and Bible, and everything with your thoughts, you know, of the devil. Now, right. Yeah, now I can see that it was the, the indoctrination process. I'm not even right. sure they knew they were indoctrinating people, but... Right. You know, um, it, it, I don't have horror stories from it, but right. I'm open about it. But I went to other experiences that I can relate more with ex-cult members than Jesus People USA. Well, what I meant, um, I don't, have you heard of, do you know of Helen Travers? She's written two books. And uh, she's, she uh, sounds familiar. She's from Australia. I've been in a lot of contact with her. She's an author. Um, okay. My indoctrination came from birth. So, and I've actually been working on a book. I put it away for a while. I need to go back to it. But uh, one thing that happened to me through this process in the last three years with this major life change is that um, I guess they call it an, an awakening or whatever. And I, it, it was an awakening. I, I don't wish it upon anybody else, but um, I had a, a very strange incident that happened to me, and please don't think I'm weird or crazy, because this really did happen, but I had a, um, while this was going on, um, with the, the starting of the divorce and the life change, I had a face-to-face encounter with a 350-pound Siberian tiger. <laughs> A, a real and Siberian tiger? A real, a real. Oh, wow. A real. Ooh, a real. That's quite a... Okay. And all I'm going to say about that is, um, so you don't think I'm totally nuts, it awoke me on levels you can't even imagine. Um, and I actually had to go through a process of adjusting to being awake. Because I think through the process of thinking I was living my life just fine and, you know, the therapy that I did go through, um, it, it just lifted a veil on everything around me. And there, that was a huge adjustment. But at the same time, one thing that it did do, um, whatever that was, and I don't want to put a name on it because I can't really even explain it to you, is that... It also lifted the veil on my memories from very, very early childhood. Oh, okay. Um, and so, the, I, and I started to write, the, and at the same time, all of I was getting all this information on the predatory indoctrination and what the, the Australian Commission is doing on the mm-hmm. research on that. New Jersey has now passed a law on that. And I'm really kind of focused on the damage that that predatory indoctrination of a cult situation like that in your early ages of development does to you on a lifelong basis. And so, yeah, and, and I look, like, if I look back on all of my artwork, mm-hmm. you know, from up until now, it has all been a healing process of that, trying to reprogram that thinking because we weren't given a choice whether we believed it or not. It was just a way of life. This is the way things were. This is how life was presented to us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up, my brother was five years older than me. He had some mental issues and wasn't as strong as me. And, um, you know, he really suffered throughout his life. He spent his whole life licking his wounds from it. Yeah. You know, he never really did heal. You know, I reached a point of healing enough where I could you know, have a productive life, um, but I really, I guess because I'm older now, I realize that my thinking still is attached to a lot of that. And that it, takes, it takes a long time, and everybody, I think, integrates it differently, and you, and needs to right. methods. Like we don't, we never say that art can. Is the is the answer, but art is part of a way where you reintegrate yourself, and you know yourself, and you see the right. world through your own eyes. Because in a cult, you're seeing the world through their eyes, and at least through art, you're now seeing it through your your eyes, your colors, your perception. Uh, but it takes a long time, and there's different you know people well, with different options for it. With some. Um, for some, it's therapy. For some, it's supportive family. Some people can't afford therapy. 
it's you know for me it was um, a very supportive family and but I was like a zombie I remember um, and I'm talking about a different incident I was involved in I was very much like a zombie like very trancy um, for a few months and it yeah. it took like a routine for me to kind of like I was starting to come down you know and then mm-hmm. after you come down you kind of crash and you go yeah. you get a lot of tears and you realize how much you've hurt people and so there's so much yeah. that, that people don't realize what you go through and, and I could not I cannot even grasp what it's like to be born and raised in a cult to me that is right. that is well I mean and so well yeah and so these early childhood memories and, and, and I'm not going to say you know it was all bad I have a lot of wonderful memories in there and you know my mother and I were very close and I have very dear memories and and, and so in, in writing this book it, it's about all of that but it's about having this this childhood that, you know we were a higher income family we always dressed nice you know we presented ourselves well my mom and I had a close relationship my, my father was extremely psychologically and physically abusive I mean he took corporal punishment to a whole nother level um, but he was gone a lot. So, you know, there's a lot of times with my mom but that were special, but the fear ingrained in us. And I'll just tell you one little, sto- little story here so you can kind of grasp it. My, one thing that my mom and I would do is um, after our field service, we would go have ice cream. Mm-hmm. And that was just a wonderful memory. It was a little ice cream powder there with the black and white tile, and you walked in and you picked out your ice cream. And of course, I always got black licorice because I love black licorice. Mm-hmm. My mom always got grasshopper. Okay. It was a mint. Okay. It was a mint. And I remember at a very, I must have been four, maybe. And I looked at her and I said, Mom, why? I thought that it was called grasshopper because it had grasshopper blood in it. Okay. That's so cute. Now, no, yeah, that's cute. But, however, we were so ingrained that drinking blood was a sin that that instilled so much fear in me that I couldn't tell anyone that my mom ate grasshopper ice cream because then I would have to be the one to throw the first stone at her. Oh, God. If anybody knew. So you see how this, mm-hmm. such a simple thing, thinking, and when you're a child, the way that you internalize what's going around you and make sense of it, you know, because you're still in that 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 area of everything is and about you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you don't get out of until you're about six years old. Those things and that constant fear over things that there shouldn't have been fear over. Yeah, fear is a huge you know? is a huge motivator to be afraid of your own thoughts. Even you know your thoughts. Yeah, even from a and that's. Afraid of our own thoughts, we were we were taught that it was it was evil to be angry. You shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't pray out loud because the demons are going to hear you. And so we were so repressed on really deep levels. And I think that that has made why I needed the arts because. Well, first off, I'm a really sensitive person, so I internalized all of it and. You know, it was to a point where I, it was so big to carry, I couldn't get it out any other way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was the initial releasing of it so that it was actually something manageable enough for me to say, hey, look, this is it. This is a problem for me, you know. <laughs> and also, we didn't have the internet back then, so we didn't have access no. to information. We didn't know any no. members. Uh, when I no. went through my second experience was a one-on-one cult with a swami. Um, there was more resources for me, and that's how I, I wound up um, feeling more um, more in tune with my experiences, but. Um, I went through some weird things after um, Jesus People USA in terms of the fear of your thoughts, you know, like everything. Um, Even um, if people wanted to get married at Jesus People, they would say it's selfishness. 
because they won't mm-hmm. love each other when they should be loved. Yeah. And marriages were treated really oh, weird yeah. there. Like, you were happy, wow. but they acknowledged that this couple was selfish. <laughs> it was so strange, you know? Right. Well, and that's, we had so much shame um, with yeah, the human so. body and, and, and femininity. And I think the, the body art, um, even though I don't have the studio anymore and I pretty much retired it, I don't do a lot. I, I pick and choose the projects now, but um, I, for me, the body art was um, the first gal that called me and asked me to do it. I didn't even know if I could do it. Mm-hmm. I did not know. Could I, did I have the nerve to have a naked person and paint on them? I mean, you're talking a lot of ego. You're talking a lot of open, you know, yeah. you know, you know, all this, and I was like, I don't even know if I can do this. Fortunately, I had a friend to hold my hand to, uh, with me for the first one. She was a, in the nudist colony, and so was her husband. She showed up, and, you know, she just stripped down, no problem, and I'm, you know, I'm going, oh, oh my God, I, I, I don't know if I can, you know, and, you know, and as soon as I took the bright paintbrush to her, it was so easy. Oh. Your body and is it, beautiful. I saw some. And it, it just, I started to see the human body as a beautiful thing and as an art itself. Mm-hmm. And some of the models I got to work with were such beautiful people in and out. And there were several of them. And I had these women, I tell you not, they looked more beautiful with their clothes off than with their clothes on. Yeah, that's quite a You know, and, and it... It was um, a way of me getting comfortable with other humans and and the human body itself. I mean, we were so shamed of any, you know, you know, we, we you know, and at the same time, we're wearing as much mascara as we can and as high heels as we can. And, you know, it was just this constant yeah, battle. Yeah, yeah, that's funny that you say that because it teaches people we wore the long maxi skirts. And, yeah, um, I had to slit as high as you could possibly get it. But you had to be over your knees. And the hair. We were huge yeah. on that. So we would get all dialed up. But we didn't have to, um, well, on the top, I noticed some of the women, or they call them sisters, would, would wear um, tank tops sometimes, but which was yeah. a big daring. But we always had to have, like, the full legs covered. So we wore right. those long... Well, there was, I think there, there was one, you know, one thing that really helped me work through. There was an instant where my older brother was in the hallway coming from the bathroom with the towel on going to his room and he tripped over the towel and, you know, lost it in the hallway and my dad caught him. And we both got beat for that so bad and shamed because I had seen him naked. Oh, brother. So, I mean, the uh, nudity was... It was a hard thing for me to be okay with. I mean, I had gone through art school, and I went through, I kept going through figure drawing classes just so that I could try to get comfortable with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would go chest up only. And, and my, my drawing teacher finally looked at me, and he said, you're going to have to learn to draw those things sooner or later, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm like, I just had to look at that. You know? <laughs> But it's funny, you know, it's funny. Yeah. I, I, I think I still feel that way, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> but the, um, the, the body art, you know, really got me over that, and it helped me to feel better about my own, you know, body, which I wasn't there as beautiful as these, these were models, so you really can't draw a line between the two. But just being okay, and being okay... Losing the judgment of someone else that likes their body, maybe is showing a little bit off. I worked with a lot of um, transgender people. I worked mm-hmm. with a lot of, um, you know, uh, drag queens. I worked with a lot, you know, and so it was this acceptance of accepting people and seeing the beauty in them as they were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
This seems like it was such an integrative healing process for you. It's really And I think yeah. one thing that was really, really healing about it, as I don't know if you've seen the seen the pictures of the couple that are in the painted on overalls. Yes, I saw that. Okay. That one was such okay, those two came to the studio and I hadn't really told my mother at that time exactly what I was doing that I was having people come over to my house and getting naked in my basement and I was painting them. Okay, I didn't really put it to her that way. You know, I kinda of skirted the issue. I never lied to my mother. I just didn't tell her a whole lot. That I because she was still stuck in the cult and with my father. So you had to be you had to tread lightly, you know, just, so I didn't want to get her in trouble or, or make her feel like she had to shun me as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So I tried to keep those doors open, but I did those. Uh, I, I told her I had, you know, a studio job coming on, and I you know, I couldn't talk that day. And she said, I want to see what you did. I want to see what you do. And I'm like, because uh, she was really supportive of my artwork, but I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you want to see what I'm doing. Oh, my God, I don't know. If I, and so I did them. Um, and of course, she kept begging me. And I sent her the photos from that shoot. And she absolutely loved it. Wow, that's great. She was taking these pictures of these two basically nude people to the Kingdom Hall and showing all of her friends, my aunts and my uncles, and I'm like, Mom, do you realize what you're, this, you could get in so much trouble for this. And everybody, my aunts and uncles started calling me and sending me letters and oh, how they loved those painted on and so it was like here I was doing this thing that should have been so non-acceptant to them mm-hmm. and they all had to accept it and just in that was this whole healing that you know what I don't, no matter what you people think I'm okay yeah yeah that's great that's great that your mom was supportive and I'm sure that that brought some more closeness between you and her as well and maybe opened her eyes a little bit that's a great that's a great story I really was very happy to hear that. So, yeah. and so the, the I was going to tell you just real quick the the phoenix that you like. I loved it. Um, that you wanted to use that. Now that one came out of a process after my mom passed away, and I went through a period of, of very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way everything went down, very painful time. Very, very angry. Like I said, this 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 witness stuff, it just kept rearing its ugly head every once in a while. And that was one of the time it really reared its ugly head. So I went through a really dark period, and I used the body art. I did a body painting of Lilith. I did a take on Elizabeth Datheroy, who was who who, who bathed in women's blood, um, was yeah. splattered. I did a blood dress. I mean, it got really dark. I did a dark elf. That's when I did the gargoyle, and then I worked through that really uh, ugly anger with those pieces, and then the phoenix came out of it. The it was in that, it's a and so that was actually rising out of those ashes. For me, that's what it was. For the photographer and the model, it was a promo that they were trying to present to this company for a perfume concept they had. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was it was that it was a progression of working through that really ugly anger there. Um doing these pretty dark pieces and then coming out with the phoenix. So that's, and that's the way my artwork has always kind of worked out for me. And the the projects kind of came in in a timing where I was going through this or that that related to whatever was going on. Did you match up with the way you were um, integrating and and evolving? It seems your artwork was matching up to that plateau all the time, which makes it interesting because now when I see your art, I'm going to look at it in a different uh, perspective because of how it... How well, it the, during the process of jamming the studio and doing the business so full-time, I didn't have time to do my own personal artwork. And it's been since this life change, I started to do my own personal artwork and, uh, you know, 
talking and, and working with other ex-cult members and starting this book, that's when I started to do those other pieces of the circuit overseer and the, um, you know, the governing body. And I have a few other ones. And that was really taking those concepts that we had so much fear over and those people that had so much control over our lives and putting them into a character form so that I, you could look at them differently and take their power away from your own psyche. Yeah. And that, that's what those pieces, the one with the big bird carrying the stick, and yeah. it's, it, it, and it, and if you, if you really look at that piece, the background of that is actually actual Bible verses that are taken out of context, and the worst parts of them are highlighted. The fear parts are highlighted. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you've got this stupid bird, you know, showing off as others lashing at one of the people in the crowd just to show the other ones, you know, and they're nameless, faceless people because they don't, they're not allowed a personality. They're just, it's just lashing out fear. Um, and so that was my, it was my way of dealing with it. it was also, I was trying to show people don't look at them as powerful anymore. They are these characters. They they don't even, they're hollow. They're not, um, don't give them power over your lives. Because this is, I was trying to present an imagery, you know, mm-hmm. of, and very, taking, their, taking their power away. I think it will help a lot of uh, members coming out of, not just the JWs, but, in, in general, it will help a lot of ex-members because I think, the, I can only speak for myself, but the best analogy that I felt was I felt blown up to pieces. Like I felt like my arms were over there and my, my legs were over there and I was like this torso trying to put my arms and legs back together and you feel very blown up and... Um, you know, I, I think that art could kind of be that glue to kind of glue yourself back together. And it may come in the beginning of your recovery or towards the end. A lot of people who are, have been out of a cult for a while will then seek art and start having um, artistic expression. But it's um, it's very healing and very healthy either way. It's, it's never going to be a harmful situation. So we really try to... What we're trying to do is, is um, with artists. Well, I know, I know. Growing up, the only way that because there was always this internal stuff going on, mm-hmm. you know, even though we told, were told this and we we're supposed to believe this, there was always this internal struggle going on, and you know, also dealing with the abuse and watching the abuse, and you know, it, it was a lot of tension going on. And just as a young child, the only way I could express any of it that was going on internally was to play the piano. Oh, wow. and um, it was so funny because you know my dad got me piano and piano lessons, and I would just bang it out, you know. And my dad just thought whatever I played was just so beautiful. So I purposely went down and got sheet music of all the music that they were saying at the time was satanic. Mm-hmm. Stairway to Heaven being one of them. I remember sitting in the Kingdom Hall and they played it backwards and they're the same mic we made. And so one of the first, one of the first sheet musics I bought, and of course I, I, I hid it so he couldn't read the name of the song, was I taught myself Stairway to Heaven and I would play Stairway to Heaven and he would sit there and say that is the most beautiful song. And he called it the long song because it is quite a long song. Mm-hmm. And even, Years and years later, when my mom was ill and I flew back there, um, I had to get on an elevator with with my father, and, and now it's elevator music, you know, and it's like, it ages me, and Scary to Heaven came on in this instrumental, and he goes, oh my gosh, that's that beautiful song you used to play on the piano, it's a long song, and he thought, what, what, what is the name of that song, and I, I was probably in my late 30s, and I looked at him, and I said, you know what, that's a scary way to have it, and if you play it backwards, it's saying, my sweet Satan. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you, what did your dad say when you said that to me? <laughs> <laughs> he, he just 
shook his head and didn't talk to me for the rest of the day. But <laughs> never asked me to play that song, that long song again. Oh, now you but, you said that right now you're working on a book. It, it's what's the topic? Yeah. Um, well, it, right now, I was working on it, and I got about five chapters into it, and I sent, it kind of, you know, it was difficult getting into the ex witness community, because, I mean, honestly, we still judge each other, and so many of us are still stuck in a lot of that thinking, that, um, you know, I, I, I friended a few of them, and was getting close to them, and we ended up shunning each other, you know, going, dude, just, just... We we we're exercising the same behavior that we that we know of, and it was it was so sad to watch us. I kind of backed off from it a bit because I'm like, you know what, this this isn't healing. This is regurgitating, and and so the one I did really. It's not the XJW community. I see that. you know, in many many X cold groups, Scientology as well is very and then it kind of got to be this thing where, oh, my story is worse than your story, you know, oh, well, you didn't go anything, I went through, and it was like, no, you know what, we have all been through the pain we have been through, and it's been just as hard for each one of us, and some of my my book kind of, like I said, my book is written from first person at the age I was at at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it goes up, and, and, and of course, the older I get, the more difficult it's going to become. But it's not to say, I had this horrible life, and I want everybody to feel sorry for me. But, and it, it's a lot about the relationship between my older brother and, and me and my mother, and and the dynamics of that, and what was going on in my thinking at those ages, it, it's the focus is that I want people to be able to read that book, psychologists, whatever, and get a good grasp of what it does to a child's mind mm-hmm. to be introduced to that kind of thinking at such a young age. And, um, you know, like I said, I feel like I've survived it on some level. My brother never survived it. Yeah. Is your brother you know, he, is, is he doing better now? He's dead. Oh, no, sorry. he's dead. I'm sorry. He passed away. Um, he, he went through mental institutions. He had really bad um, drug problems. I went through my own years of the drug use, but, you know, I, I, I don't. I got over it. I got past it. Not that it wasn't a problem, but he never, he had many serious suicide attempts. He spent some time in prison. He, you know, he never, ever healed from it. Well, except for probably the last six months of his life. He had been sober for the last six years, but by that time, you know, he had brain damage and, you know, it was, it, it he never, he never was able to rise above it. That's what I'm saying in his life. And so, you know, all of us are born with a different strength, mm-hmm. and and some people can't handle it. They really can't. I mean, they mm-hmm. say that God never gives you more than you can handle. Um, well, when you start off with a palate that's so tainted and in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I don't believe in, in that expression, and it's true. We're all individuals and, and our psyches and our dispositions are different and you can't you can't go by by that you know some people are right i have a friend who's who had a horrific experience at um at a cult and and i mean when she told me her story i i I could not even listen to the whole thing i i had to take a break and go back to it and and she's it took her a while i mean she's in her 60s now but she's um you know, adjusted quite well, but I, I tell her if I even went to one day or what you went to, it, it, I, it would have devastated me. So it's true. Everybody is on a, you know, everybody's on their own different, different way of dealing and integrating. Their yeah, experiences. and I, like I'm, I'm really excited that they're doing the research and the predatory indoctrination, not just with Jehovah Witnesses. You've got polygamists out there. You've got. All of this people, mm-hmm. these people are not allowed the freedom of thinking. 
which is so instrumental to us to be human, you know? I like what you just said. I really do. I think I'm going to pull it out as a quote because I I just like what you just said right now about freedom of thinking. So... um, are you, so you're working on your book, and you're kind of in and out of the XJW communities. You know, I, I kind of know, I understand that because... Um, well, I stayed in the cult survivor art group because I really loved that, that, oh, I that group. That and I loved yeah. Lori, and um, I was in a bunch of the other groups, but there's, there, was, there started to be a lot of fighting going on, mm-hmm. and... Um, the animosity between, you know, this person and that person and what this person is doing. And there was ego. And, I mean, you can run into that any group, but I just saw such a similarity of, I'm like, you know what? We're all doing the same thing that we did before, just in a different context. Exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe you've decided that being a Christian and Jesus is for you, but this other person has decided that atheism is what makes sense to them. So what? Exactly. You know, we're people, people have all, the right. We, people have the right to believe in what they want, and um, I'm often a little misunderstood as an atheist because I come off a little militant. But that's just my private Facebook. But I. I have friends with people in almost every every path, you know. Ex- well, I don't yeah. have any friends in cults, but, you know, I have Jewish friends. Yeah. I have Christian friends. I have paid Yeah, I, it, you know. there's beauty in all of it. It's what works for my, my boyfriend is a pretty militant atheist. And actually, I'm agnostic because I will not give up my fairies. Sorry. You kind of go back to where it all began, you know, when you were a child and you were just picking flowers and you just felt the sun. And for me, it was like uh, I kind of gone back to that because people think, you know, atheists don't feel or we don't appreciate nature. We just even more so. I even have more wonder about life and and like you know than I did when I had to attribute everything to a spiritual origin so that's that's yeah. some, of, some people I know that are um, faith based they tease me too like I'm not the biggest um, butt of jokes sometimes you know so I, that's why I was laughing so hard about the fortune cookie because that's something you know somebody would have said to me so <laughs> Because everything is like, well, you can work on Christmas. You're an atheist, you know. I'm like, no, I don't want to work on Christmas. I know a lot of atheists love Christmas, and I, you know, Not a- I did. You know, when when I was married and was raising my son, we didn't do Christmas. Our last name was Smith, and we did Smithmas. It was going to be our own traditions. Okay. Our own thing. I mean, I have an upside down Christmas tree. I have a purple Christmas tree. I have a menorah. I put out, I have all these little traditions that are mine. Because Jesus wasn't born born on that day anyways. I had a neighbor who was an extreme Baptist, and she said, well, I just love your decorations, but I do hope that you make a cake and you sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I said, why the hell would I do that? It's not even his birthday. It's just get presents day. It's just, I like a little bit that people soften up a little bit, even though it's kind of hypocritical. I, I do kind of like that. 
the emotionalism a little bit that I see, even though it, it doesn't last past New Year's. It's, it's nice. Like, everybody tries to be a little nicer to each other. And, you know, what, yeah. you, know I, I, you know that in the Christmas music and the old Bing Crosby song. Oh, yeah, I love it. I, I mean, love my, it. My, boyfriend, my boyfriend finally took me to this last Christmas, and it was a Christmas dream come true because we didn't have holidays growing up. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed any of the holidays. No Christmas, no nothing. And, um, you know, I had so much guilt about riding in the back of the car at night and just staying in awe of the Christmas lights because I shouldn't be. Um, you know, and so Christmas lights and decorations are huge to me. Christmas is all about decorating to me. It really is. I yeah. got to, I wouldn't believe what, I mean, I go crazy. I paint the windows. I, I, you know, I do all this stuff. But he finally took me to Leavenworth this last Christmas which is Christmas Town. It is oh, okay. so beautiful. Is, is it, is it's a Bavarian. It's Christmassy in it. Oh, oh I mean, yeah. we drove into there at night, and I just started bawling because oh. I was, this is happened. Oh, my God, I love fairy tale come true. Oh. <laughs> I am in Christmas. I am in Christmas. <laughs> oh, I get very sentimental, too. I, I miss the snow, and... Um, we got, uh, well, we didn't have the best Christmases growing up, but there was kind of this, um, this togetherness that I can, you know, like the tree was all messed up. We were poor, you know, like, I don't know what kind of tree my dad got, like he just chopped a bush off my neighbor's yard or something, but we just, you know, just the kind of, the way we struggled and the way my parents sacrificed to get us, you know, a one good gift. Like, you remember that. So I, I get sentimental. I remember watching Charlie Brown cartoons, all of us, in the living room. And when I hear Charlie Brown, I start, you know, bawling. So there's a lot of sentiment I have as well. I remember as a child, because we, we always had to go into field service. You know, that was part of our thing, go knock on people's doors and... I hated it so bad. Even at a young age, I would stand a few feet back from my parents, oh, and they would, and I would just shake my head and look at the person. No, 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 don't. But oh. I, come come Christmas time, I was like, yeah, let's get into the house because I wanted to see people's decorations. I was oh. just oh, oh. the Christmas tree. Oh. I got in so much trouble one year because I think it was second grade. I finally said, you know what? Can we please bring a tree into the house in the summer and decorate it? Not not for Christmas, just to decorate a tree, please, please. Oh, oh of course, no, that was a big bad thing and pagan and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I was like, I it's just a tree. It's just a tree. It's so beautiful. Oh, you know, and I, you know, there's a lot of healing around that because I remember, like, it's kindergarten. And, of course, I go to school, and I'm the Joe Witness, and all the other kids, and it was Chris, Christmas was coming up, and all the kids are saying, well, you know, what do you ask Santa for? And I'm like, I don't believe in Santa. I don't believe in and There is no Santa. And they go, oh, there is right, a Santa. Yeah. Believe in Santa. They just, you know, if you're good all year, Santa will bring you something. And so I, at that age, thought and thought and thought and thought about what did I do that was bad? Mm-hmm. Because I was this perfect little kid you know, at yeah. that point. I'm I mean, I got ball blew out of the water in my teens, but I thought, what do I do that's bad? And I thought, I chew gum. But that's a bad thing I do. So I didn't chew gum for a year. Every time somebody offered me the half a piece of juicy fruit, I would say, no, thank you. Santa will bring me something, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember getting up that next Christmas Okay, okay, I ain't come all year. China's going to leave me something. The kids say everyone's going to leave me something. Because I had a creative mind even at that age. I wanted to believe in things. And I looked under my bed, and there was my brother's dirty sock under the bed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there is no Santa. I go to school. I go back to school. I go back to school, and the kids are like, what's Santa bring you? What's Santa bring Because they were all into it, because they were all thinking Santa's going to bring me something, you know. Yeah. And I said, there was, there, I thought he'd leave me something under my bed, but there was just a dirty old sock. And these kids, this kid goes, you got a dirty old sock from Santa? So that's like getting a lump of coal. That's like getting a lump of coal. That means you're bad. Oh, 
Oh, it's so terrible to hear that. And I thought I was bad. I just thought I was bad. I was like, I didn't even know what I did. I just thought I was bad. And and that's kind of what I'm talking about is that how that indoctrination formed, you know, this really dysfunctional kind of thinking throughout life. Especially if you're in it, it's, it's really embedded in you because even though I was with the Jesus people for a short time, um, it, it still was so hard to shake off and I think it kind of um, anchored me into a general obsession about um, religion and spirituality which made me kind of religion hop and then I finally, you know, wound up in a one-to-one cult with a, a swami. So... Um, but it, it took a long, you know, even, and I can't even imagine born and raised, you know, in a cult, how that completely... Well, everyone that I grew up with, I, I, I mean, we were in, not in that big of a town. Everyone that I grew up with, everyone that I knew, mm-hmm. I was shunned. I was shunned from. Yeah. I mean, the whole congregation showed up at my trial to shun me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kids that I grew up with um, and played with got on the stand and told these horrible fabricated stories about me that were not even true. I was publicly reproved in their kingdom hall at 12 years old, which means I was forced to sit in the back of the hall while they announced that I was bad association and no one was even to look at me. Mm-hmm. I was put through their trials, their tribulations with their three elders. That was like, you know, three men, you're 12 years old, just starting to turn into a woman, confused about, you know, what's happening with your body and being asked these pornographic questions by these three men. Mm -hmm. You know, and I... um, you know, I I just yes, at that point I think mentally I was as as a as a because I had been through a, a whole sexual abuse thing. I just went into becoming a different person just to be able to be in that space, and so they you know uh, came to the conclusion that I was unrepentant for my sins, which by law now, if any of that had happened now, those people who committed those acts would be in prison for the rest of their life. That's true. But I was the one punished for it. I was beaten for it. I went to these tribunals for it, and then I was publicly reproved and, you know, went through a a series of really long, horrible corporal punishment. And that, that, for my own survival, I had to leave home. I had to leave my whole family. I had to leave everything. I ran 20 miles across the Black Hills to get help. Um, beaten to a pulp, and um, I had to go through a process with the courts. Um, I lived on my own for three years and supported myself and went to school at 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. Oh, my goodness. You lived, like, completely and, uh, by yourself, like you had your own place, or did you stay with somebody but pay you? I just stayed wherever I could. Oh, gosh. I wasn't going back. I, it was apparent to me that the beatings had escalated to the point with my father, who was an elder, that literally, um, you know, he was the one that had cast the first stone. And um, if I didn't, and, and because of the way this all went down, I that's when I really questioned. I started questioning this stuff early on, but I didn't, that's when I really started to question and, and not believe anymore. But then you're stuck in this place where you don't know what to believe. Yeah. And you you're not, and you, you don't, don't have help and you don't have support system. And so that just compounds into the whole tragedy of it. So. And the only thing that, that, that made it possible for me to survive is I did develop really early. And at the age of 13, I was 23. And so I was able to get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, and work, and nobody. Yeah, because my daughter's fourteen, and I can't even get her to do basic chores. I cannot even imagine <laughs> being no, really. You know, I, well, it was one one thing my father 
was adamant on is that he was going to pull me out of school in the eighth grade. And if I wanted to, I could do correspondence. But then I was to be groomed to marry a ministerial servant and go to Bethel, New York, and be one of their artists for their Watchtower and Awake. So that was to be my life plan. And so, and there was like no way in hell by that age I wanted anything to do with any of that. None of the, I mean, once I, it was funny because once I first started to get into trouble, um, it's hard to quick say, my dad didn't let me have any friends outside of the church and he decided I needed to hang out with this other sister who was an auxiliary pioneer who was three years older than me. She started to come over to my house and wanting to spend the night all the time. Well, the only reason she wanted to do that was to speak out my window and go meet her boyfriend down the hill. Well, then she started to bring her boyfriend over, and these guys were, here I'm 12, these guys were 17, 18, and one was 32, and she started to bring them in. And this thing went on for several months, and it was really sick. I mean, I didn't even really understand what was going on, but when it finally came down and we got caught, she lied through her teeth, and I was initially honest about what was going on, and I'm the one that got in trouble. Yeah, that's awful, God. And like I said, this situation, if it had happened these days, those guys would have been yeah. put in prison. Right. But because that they were non-believers and I was a witness, it was all my fault. That's a, that's a tragedy, and that's so much assault on every level. And, you know, I, I can't... It's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. But when it first happened, and I was initially in their tribunals over this, mm-hmm. um, it was like all of a sudden, all of these men in that congregation, I had so many engagement rings given to my dad to give me. It was like I felt like I was up for auction because I was damaged goods. Oh, God. So here I'm 12 years old, and I have all these men, you know, wanting to marry me because they're going to take me to Bethel and straighten me out. And I'm like, no. That is sick. No way. That is sick. No way. (laughs) No, that's just sick. I mean, I, I, I just, there's no other way to put it. And I'm glad to see Jehovah Witnesses come to, um, come to light more and more publicly and it's good to see all the strong organizations that are coming out and speaking against the Jehovah Witnesses and the TV show. But in that story, maybe you can see how that body art was so healing it for is. me. Yeah, it's it very connecting to, to the story about the body art because, you know, I it, now it really comes like full circle of how impactful it was to you and it, it, it's now it's like the piece of the puzzle come together Naomi it has been fascinating to speak with you about all your experiences and how you continue to be an artist and we encourage everybody listening to visit your website at timehonoredart.com that is time t-i-m-e honored art.com to see her work which is absolutely beautiful this is Deborah Vaness signing off with Thinking Agenda we can be reached at cultscults.com or you can find us on Facebook on various platforms under Artist Heart for You Or you can even look up the hashtag, you define you, and a whole bunch of stuff comes up. But we thank you for joining us, and we will be continuing with this podcast series with more guests. Thank you. Bye-bye.